Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, welcome to another episode of the Jake Botel Sports Experience. Sitting out on the trampoline again in the front garden. It's an absolutely awesome uh, spring, late spring, uh, mid spring <laughs> evening here. Uh, sure you can hear the birds. We've had a bit of rain today. It's been absolutely beautiful and ready to launch in and recap some thoughts about what was a massive weekend of football. Going to talk a bit about CFL playoffs. There were two games there. Going to talk a bunch of different outcomes from college football week 10, question mark, um, and obviously NFL week 9. I think I've got those numbers correct. Uh, let's start off with the CFL. Let's start off with the CFL. I, that's sort of where my, um, football weekend started. 6am Sunday morning, Thai Cats at Montreal and, oh boy, uh, in some ways I felt like oh, I should have just had the extra hour of sleep. But anyway, um, we, we were off and away at 6am and there was no looking back as, Oh, Hamilton really bowed out. Uh, there's no other word for it, in my opinion, but kind of meekly. Kind of, you know, it was a little bit like watching, you know, the big brother fight the little brother, and the little brother's swinging and swinging and swinging, and the big brother's got, like, his hand on top of the other kid's head and is just sort of keeping him at arm's length, and then finally went smack, gave him a slap upside the head and said, go on, on your way. And that's kind of what this game felt like. The, the Cats, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts is sort of what it felt like. You know, you, you only score field goals. I think it was 27 to 12 in the end. Um, they had Matthew Schultz come in and play pretty much the whole game. And you thought, well, Bo Levi Mitchell, he must be carrying. He must be a little more injured or banged up than what they're letting on. But then... You know, multiple scores down in the last quarter with, with a few minutes left, they bring Bo Levi in. And it was such a weird experience for me because I'd said in the preview, run with the quarterback from the start that you think gives you the best chance to win. Don't feel obliged to rotate QBs just because you brought Bo Levi in in the offseason, you paid him a lot of money. If Schiltz or whoever it is, Powell, gives you the best chance to win from the start, play them. And so I was happy that they ran with Schiltz. But of course, you know, it came a certain point in the game, nothing much was happening. And it's like, okay, that was the plan you went in with. Maybe you could pivot away now and try something else. You need a spark. Don't do it out of, um, well, you know, the plan was you play one half, you play the other half. You know, play one guy, say the game is yours unless you're not performing. Schiltz... At the end of the day, probably didn't perform as well as he could have, but I think there was a lot of players on offense. I think there were a lot of players on defense who would feel the same, um, that maybe wasn't their best effort. And uh, But I honestly thought, oh, well, we're not going to see, you know, with, with whatever it was, six minutes, seven minutes, I can't actually remember how long was left in the game when, and I was listening on the radio at this point. Um, they said... Bo Levi Mitchell is coming in for the next drive. And I thought, what are we doing? Like, talk about changing it up too late. You know, you, I don't know. It's very confusing. I found the whole season incredibly confusing. Um, the better team won. I think that's the easiest thing to say. In no universe did I feel like the Ticats were ever going to win that game. I thought... There was like this shot early in the first quarter. I think we held Montreal to a field goal or whatever the case was. I felt there was a moment in the first quarter where it was like we'd, we'd maybe withstood a bit of them doing damage. We might have even had an early turnover. We withstood that. You know, you get the ball, you drive down, and, and either we didn't get anything or we had to settle for a field goal. And there were a couple of moments like that where it was like Hamilton could punch one in here and really make a game of it. They didn't. They settled for field goals, and then it was gone. Montreal, the far better team. They were better than us all year. They deserve to move on to the next round. And I think 
yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens for the Ticats next year because they've, you know, they made those back-to-back Grey Cups. I think it was back-to-back. Um, lost both of them to Winnipeg. Now you've sort of scraped into playoffs the last few seasons, but been bumped out relatively early. Now you've really got to face, face up and go, have we got what we need on the roster? Have we got what we need at quarterback? Have we got what we need at other positions? Have we got what we need, uh, you know, in terms of staffing, coaches, front office, all of that sort of thing? Or, you know, we'll be close in those games against Winnipeg, and now we've slipped, you know, to a degree in which we need to rebuild some things. We need to we need some some larger changes, perhaps. I don't know. I don't have the answers. I really like Orlando Steinauer. Um, you know, I'm not saying, oh, it's, I don't know. Just something is is meaning we are behind the eight ball. And, and someone said um, after the game on, you know, there were people saying, oh, good good work, Kojo. You know, you've managed to, you know, um, what was the word? You, you've managed to alienate, you know, and, you know, two great QBs in the space of two seasons. And I, I, I had to respond. I said, I think Bo Levi Mitchell kind of alienated himself from the starting lineup by throwing 10 picks in, in six games or eight games or whatever it was that he played. Like, Bo Levi Mitchell can be annoyed and frustrated with how his season progressed, and I can understand that from the injury standpoint, but he did not play well. That's That, to me, is a really simple way of looking at it. Did he play well enough to guarantee him the starting job? No. And in my opinion, your the size of your salary should, shouldn't guarantee you a starting position. They went with the guy they thought would give them the best chance to win. They didn't win. They probably adapted too late. But I understand why they went with Schiltz. I would have. I would have gone with him or Powell. I would have had them both ahead of Bo Levi. And, you know, to me, that didn't come down to quarterback mismanagement. That came down to quarterback form. If Bo Levi Mitchell thought he was the player to lead them across the line in the Eastern semifinal, then... You know, maybe that should have been shown on the field during the season. But for me, every time I tuned in to watch this season, there were some drives that were good, but there were a lot of drives where it was forcing deep throws, trying to throw, essentially trying to throw a touchdown on the first or second play of a drive and turning it over. It was it was not good. It was very inconsistent, um, and it, it wasn't good enough to earn that starting job to guarantee it for himself. So I'm really interested to see what happens next year, but it really does come down to the simple fact we weren't good enough on any side of the ball. Literally, I think the only side, of the, the only phase of the game where we had an ascendancy was our field goal kicker. He was excellent. You're not going to win a lot of games if that's all you've got to hang your hat on. So the Ticats bow out. Massive congrats to, uh, to Montreal. They thoroughly deserve it. Um, but a massive test awaits them now against Toronto, uh, the reigning champs. In the other CFL playoff game, BC Lions roared against the Stampeders. Calgary were never really in this. I think they scored a touchdown on their opening drive. Thereafter, it was just, yeah, not good is what I would describe. But Vernon Adams absolutely cooked. BC, you know, hung a big score on Calgary. And so I believe we've now got the same conference finals from last season. We're going to have BC v uh, Winnipeg, and we're going to have Montreal versus Toronto. And honestly, because BC have to travel into Winnipeg, uh, if it was in BC, I'd probably favour the Lions. Uh, I, I think we may end up with the same Grey Cup final. I think we might see a rematch of Toronto Argonauts versus the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, which would be fascinating Um yeah, fascinating to see. So that's the CFL. As I, I watched bits and pieces of the Lions stamps game, but all that I really took away, I, I was I probably had that on a secondary screen. By that stage, I had college football on the primary. Um, my main takeaway was Vernon Adams absolutely cooked. He was brilliant, um, as he has been pretty much every time I've logged in to watch him this season. So I'm really looking forward to the conference finals. Try and get my eyes on both of those. Um, but yeah, disappointing from a Ticats point of view. But, you know, you you make the bed and you lie in it. They weren't good enough across the course of the season. Um, and they weren't good enough when it came down to the playoff game. 
So we'll, we'll see how they reload and, and go again next year. Uh, college football. Bunch of headlines uh, to get to here. Wanted to start off just saying Clemson defiant. I, I picked, there were three games I picked in college football this week. I picked Clemson to, to beat Notre Dame um, uh, in Clemson. I picked Oklahoma State to beat the Sooners in Bedlam uh, in Stillwater. And I picked USC to beat Washington at home. Now, I went two out of three, which ain't bad. I got Clemson. I got Oklahoma State, but I missed out on USC. Um I thought it was great, actually, Clemson, and then, you know, winning that game, and then Dabo Sweeney coming out and saying, you know, if, if Clemson's a stock, you, you, you want to buy, start buying, you know. Um, and I think they will adjust how they do things. I think they are going to use the transfer portal. Um, and I think that's necessary to plug holes. I think it was a really good win over the Fighting Irish, but honestly, I kind of feel like the Fighting Irish are sort of a paper tiger. Is that the is that the correct phrasing? Clemson were a real tiger. Notre Dame were sort of a paper tiger. Um, they're less than the sum of their parts, maybe, or maybe we've overrated the parts that they have. Um, I think it's been a very disappointing season for Notre Dame. Um, but I was look. I've still got a little bit of a soft spot for Clemson. Um, they were one of the first teams I supported when I came into supporting college football. Um, I was really invested in Trevor Lawrence's story, and I still have a bit of a soft spot for them. Out of all the teams I've seen win national championships, um, that I've been in the time I've been watching, um, Clemson sort of remains to me. They have a little bit of a universal appeal. Um, I quite like them and. It, I guess I was just happy to pick the game correctly, but uh, yeah, I've heard some weird talk. Some people going, you know, Notre Dame is you know definite top five team, top five team. I haven't seen that this year, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I just haven't seen it. I feel like they're a little bit overrated um, for what they are. But Clems- Clemson, I think, um, they've been unlucky at times. They've made some bad mistakes at times, but, you know, let's face it, they were right in that game against Florida State. Right in that game. Did they miss a field goal to force that to overtime or they kick a field? I, I don't know, but, they, you know, they were in that game against Florida State who were undefeated. Um, you know, they, they've, they've had some close games. They're still in a transition, I think, post-Trevor Lawrence. They've still not quite worked out the, the transition to DJU didn't really work out. And so then you're trying to patch and you're trying to work out, all right, where's our next, where's that next QB life raft that we're stepping onto? You know, it, you, you, even Alabama is the same. You know, you go from, um, you know, Jalen Hurts to Tua, uh, to Mac Jones, to Bryce Young. Um, and now they're trying to work out who, who is that next guy. I, I'm sure I talked about this on a, you know, a few episodes ago that, you know, you, you don't always have that smooth stepping stone. It might take you a couple of seasons to work it out. And, um, but I think we're going to see Clemson use the transfer portal. They'll probably use it in their own way, I imagine, you know. And why not? You can. Just because you can use the transfer portal doesn't mean you have to take every knucklehead out there. Um, you know, I know that that whole the culture thing is kind of important to to Clemson, but, you know, so is winning national championships. I, I think Dabo Sweeney would know more than anyone that the expectation there now that he has built is that Clemson is a national title contender. Uh, I think they can get back to it. I think he'll want to get back to it. Um, he'll adapt with the times, I'm sure. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive about that. So, good win for Clemson. Oklahoma, the Sooners get poked. I, I, I picked it and look, a couple of episodes ago, I had an episode that was, we know nothing, particularly me, um, where, where everything I predicted basically went the opposite. This was a week, it was really nice. Some of the things I predicted played out exactly as I had foreseen it. And nothing more so than Oklahoma State beating the Sooners. And it played out kind of how I thought it would play out. Just at the margins, Oklahoma State were a little feistier. Um, 
were able to capitalize just a little bit more. The Sooners shot themselves in the foot just a couple of times. Um, a really bad refing call at the end uh, helped seal the result as well. Oklahoma State claimed the, the win in the, the final bedlam, at least the final one for a while. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's great. Um, the Sooners, they, they nearly got got by UCF after Red River. Then they managed, you know, they, they do lose to the Jayhawks for the first time since 1997. And you were wondering, all right, is this a bad spot for Oklahoma State? Are the Sooners just going to bounce back? But I always felt like maybe we had seen something a little bit exposed. Um, and ultimately, the Cowboys took advantage. And full credit to them. It was a massive win for them in, in a massive home environment. And I thought what it showed was the continuing resiliency of character of Oklahoma State this season. Where, you know, they didn't have a crash hot start to the season. They had a terrible start to the season, in fact. Some of those losses that they took the one to South Alabama, for instance, in Stillwater. Um, but they've, they've rebounded. You know, they've, and they've been in these games where it's like, oh, you know, I think this team might have them on the ropes. And no, Oklahoma State bounces back. They come out swinging. They punch their way back into it. And then they land a knockout blow. The game against West Virginia was like that, where there were times in that game where it looked like the Mountaineers might be just about to put them away, maybe. And Oklahoma State withstood counter-punched and, and, and pulled away. Uh, I think you could look at the games against Kansas, the game against Kansas State is like that. And this game against Oklahoma was like that. There were multiple times uh, where you thought, oh, the Sooners might be about to blow this open. They might be about to pull away. And no, Oklahoma State rally uh, and, and they get their noses in front again and, and they hold on. A really impressive win, and I think we now, I think our matchup for the Big 12 championship game is pretty much sealed up. Oklahoma State's run home, I believe, includes either all or most of the expansion teams. I think they play BYU, I think they play Houston, and I think they play Cincinnati. Might still have a UCF game, I can't remember, but it's it's four teams that I think they'll be clear favorites over. So... You know, they could potentially even afford, um, you know, an additional loss at this point because they've got all these conference wins. I think they can run the table the rest of the way, though, and, and go in 10-2. and two. Um, And they've got head-to-heads now. They've got head-to-heads over West Virginia, over both the Kansas teams, and over Oklahoma. So I just don't see Oklahoma jumping them. Uh, I don't see Kansas State jumping them, don't see Kansas jumping them, don't see West Virginia jumping them. So I think our Big 12 championship game is all but locked up. I think it's going to be a, a, a sea of orange as Texas takes on um, Oklahoma State. Massively exciting. And wouldn't it be awesome uh, for the Big 12 if Oklahoma State knocked off Texas in the championship game, having done away with Oklahoma, the two teams that have you know, absconded to the uh, SEC, the Oklahoma State, who remains, go, eh, well, on your way out the door, here's a kick in the pants. Um, I'd be rooting for that, definitely. Um, and, and look, honestly, I think with the departure of Texas and Oklahoma, I think it opens a door massively for Oklahoma State. I think there's no reason why Oklahoma State can't fancy itself to be one of the top, say, three or four programs in the Big 12 moving forward, one of those teams that's perennially contending for the title. I, I really do think that, like, I'd have to do a little deeper thinking about it, but they're going to be able to recruit pretty much on a level as everyone else in the conference, and, and that has been something, if anything, that's probably elevated Texas and Oklahoma at times is that ability to recruit just that little bit extra. Um, I I think Oklahoma State are in a great position and I think they have an argument to have the best coach in the conference. And I think he's shown that uh, over the stretch now, um, that he's a very good coach, uh, whether your team is one and two or whether it's two and one or four and oh or 
Mike Gundy is very capable of, of getting his team where he wants them to be by the right time in the season. And as I said, I think this the departure of Texas and Oklahoma um, is opening a massive door um, for teams like Oklahoma State to to be one of the dominant powers moving forward in that conference. And they, yeah, chef's kiss. They trot off, um, you know, into the uh, bedlam absent era with a win. USC outgunned at home, maybe not that surprising. It's funny, you know, that USC's defense cops a lot of the criticism in this game that ends 52-42. And I get it because they couldn't, stop a nosebleed. Um, they were horrible on defense, and obviously it comes out that Alex Grinch, I'm pretty sure their defensive coordinator, was was relieved of his duties um, in the last 24 hours, which makes sense. Uh, it was a move that had to happen. They were, they were abysmal. I think it was on In the Gun podcast, the West Virginia um, pod, where they talked about, hey, if you're going to make mistakes on defense, at least make them at full speed. You know, you can kind of live with it. All right, if we if someone misses an assignment or someone stuffs up a you know a run fit or whatever, at least do it at full blooded sort of violent speed where you're trying to impact the play at full tempo, full ferocity. There's some stuff with USC's defense where it was like they were making mistakes at half speed. You know, some of the run blocking was just abhorrent. Um, having said that, though, like Washington's defense, you know, gives up 42, so. This was a game with very little in the way of, of decent defense being played. Both, I think, inherently flawed teams. Like, I understand that Washington is still undefeated. I would fancy Oregon in the rematch, um, honestly. I think that Oregon's just got a little bit more on defense. Um, and that game against, you know, they lost by a field goal at Husky Stadium, um, you know, in a game where they were kicking to tie it. They just missed the kick. So I think if you put that on a neutral field, if you put that game in Eugene, uh, I think the Ducks would fancy themselves. And I would fancy the Ducks, to be honest. I think Washington are inherently flawed. They've got a brilliant strength in their offense. So I suppose the big question is, in the last month of the season, could their defense shape into something that can at least be maybe playmaking um, and, and not be a liability. USC's defense is an absolute liability. So I'm interested to see what they do, and they're going to have to rectify it. It was a great point they made on Cover 3 podcast um, in their Upon Further Review episode, I think it was, where they said, like, you're going over to the Big Ten next year, and everyone's saying that, oh, the Big Ten, they're going to have to get used to high scoring. Maybe it'll be the other way, you know, is what they were saying. Maybe USC is going to have to change how it operates. Maybe USC is going to have to find a defense. And I think that's why you see the move made because you've got a month left in your season. Um, you want to start finding something um, on that side of the ball before you make the transition um, over to the Big Ten where you're going to be playing more cold weather football towards the end of the season against teams that are going to be physical and are going to run the ball. And yeah, going back to that thing of make your mistakes at full speed, you just don't see that really from USC. And I think it's a big difference when you look at USC under Lincoln Riley um, and then you look at, say, Brett Venable's Oklahoma team. At least now Oklahoma's defense plays at full speed and they fly around. If they make mistakes, they're at least making them at full speed. They're at least trying to go and get violent and get physical and, and play fast. USC, are, are, they're a hard watch on defense. Um, and, and in some ways, maybe that is the difference between them and Washington in this game, was that Washington's defense did fly around a bit. Um, there was one throw from Michael Penix, which is it was just absolutely absurd. You know, pedaling towards the boundary, looking like he's going to just have to go out of bounds or... or um, you know, throw it away, and instead he just he just laces an absolute bullet for a touchdown down the sideline. Uh, go back and watch that, even just for that throw alone. It was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, there's been some talk about Caleb Williams after this game. Oh, could we stop the number one overall pick talk? No, you can't. 
Um, not based on this game. If you want to talk about previous games, you know, where he's played a bit rough, sure. But based on, the, he really did nothing wrong. He had one, you know, pretty bad fumble where he left the ball out away from his body trying to make a play. But um, Caleb Williams is the reason this team has the wins it does. If you take Caleb Williams out of this team, um, they might be like a two or three win side, max. He is an absolute difference maker and... You know, is he going to make mistakes occasionally? Yes. Would I take him number one overall? I don't know. I'd have to see how his season pans out. I have to see. It would be more important to me to see how he goes in interviews and you know on a on the old uh, the chalkboard and that sort of thing. It's it's stuff that we're not really going to know. I don't think as viewers. Um, I think some really smart people in scouting have said he holds the ball forever and. You know, you worry a bit sometimes with these playmaking QBs where the offense is so reliant on them in college running around and making magic. Can they operate in system? Whereas so much of USC this year has been, hey, Caleb, go do something incredible. Do you pick up bad habits? Um, you know, where you're not checking the ball down, where, you, where, you know, in the NFL, you're going to have to. You're going to have to check it down. Um because they're just going to close faster than you can imagine. So I, I don't know. I, I think that's a bit rich to say that should we stop talking about him as a number one overall pick based on this performance? If you've got questions from other ones, fair enough. But um, I thought he played really well um, and, uh, you know, competed really hard and they are just let down by an absurdly bad, or a comically bad defense um, at this point in time. So hopefully they get that patched up. Um, or if you're not a massive Trojans fan, you'll be hoping they don't get it patched up. Uh, let's run through a couple of other college headlines. Georgia outlast Missouri, had this game on on a second screen. Missouri really gave a good account of themselves. They were really in this game. And, and I think, you know, one of my takeaways watching this game on, on a secondary screen was I did look up a lot of times and see... Georgia break off maybe a, a big, you know, drive extending run. And there were just some times where I was like, oh, that's that athletic gap. That's that gap where the Tigers just don't quite have the same amount of freaks or the same kind of freaks that Georgia have. Mizzou are really well coached. They play hard. They, they, they compete, compete fiercely. Georgia just got some absolute Frankensteins, like on offense, on defense. Um, and that really was the edge, you know, for me. And, and, you know, amazing that Georgia just continue to rumble their way um, towards a shot at a third consecutive national championship, which I think hasn't happened since before the Second World War or something. Uh, they're an incredible team. And, Having watched sport for a long time, you get these runs by teams, you know, uh, the Arsenal undefeated team in 03, 04. I think about, you know, some of the Geelong Cats teams I've watched. You know, these dynastic teams, they have, they're going to have patches in seasons where they get a bit sleepy. Where maybe it's like, oh, I don't really feel like this. This isn't like really a big game. It's just an afternoon kickoff. It's not like prime time under lights against a you know fancied opponent. It's like, ah, oh, it's in the afternoon against Missouri. And they kind of can sleepwalk a little bit. Or they can just kind of play with their food a little bit. Or they're just in third gear and they just occasionally cycle it up to fourth or fifth. And, and that's enough to pull away. I really didn't ding Georgia. In fact, I gave him a big tick for this because you are getting everybody's best shot and you keep winning. Like one by two touchdowns or whatever it was in the end. So, um, But one storyline that continues to interest me is the fact that Alabama keeps lurking. Alabama, you know, comfortably in the end accounts for LSU. And it's just funny that they keep stacking wins and they're kind of lurking. That's what I think about uh, Alabama at the moment. They're just lurking in the background. Um, fascinated to see how they go. I think that's the matchup we're getting at this point. I don't think anyone else is going to catch them. I think it's going to be Georgia and Alabama in the conference title game, which is what we all want, don't we? 
you know, Nick Saban to have another crack at Kirby Smart. Yeah, the the dynasty that was versus the dynasty that is. Um, yeah, I'd be keen for it. I'd be really keen for it. Um, I think that's the the best matchup, the best possible matchup to get from the SEC. I think they're the two best teams, and they've continually proved it. I mean, let's face it, they've they've had one loss between them all season, and that one loss was out of conference. It was Alabama losing a close game uh, to Texas. So, yeah, the best two teams, and they should play off. Um, Ohio State get the win. I actually did watch some of this. Ohio State and Rutgers. Um, I continue to be unimpressed by Ohio State on offense. Uh, I think they 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 were really the scoreline flattered them in this game. I think if Rutgers had a functional offense, um, they would have really been in with a chance to win this game. Their defense played really well, Rutgers, but. Uh, their their offense just couldn't punch it in. Couldn't their their coach didn't seem to want to punch it in. There was a lot of that settling for field goals sort of stuff, um, and and close range field goals. So I don't know. I, I'm I, I think in the college football rankings, I I don't see any reason why Georgia shouldn't be at one in the playoff ranking. I think the AP poll, AP poll have had it right for weeks and weeks and weeks. Georgia's the reigning two time national champion. They're undefeated. It's the most obvious number one in the country. I don't understand why Ohio State was ranked one when the the committee's first poll came out. I think they'll rectify it this week. I think they'll jump Georgia up to number one, which is where they should be, in my opinion. Uh, Michigan, you know, just keep throttling teams. Don't know how to feel about them. You know, I just... Yeah, I don't know how to feel about them. Because... Like, you know, outside of all the sign-stealing stuff, you know, they're just they're sort of just blitzing very average sides. I think, you know, this game coming up against Penn State maybe tells us a little bit more. And obviously, you know, we're going to get the, the game um, when they play Ohio State. But right now, you know, they are just absolutely motoring. But I am interested to see how they line up against, you know, somewhat better opposition. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see how, how the game against Ohio State and against Penn State goes. It's the back end of this schedule really will define Michigan's season. Um, but for now, they keep rolling. I just want to end the college football section by saying, West Virginia are going bowling. West Virginia, Mountain Mama. Um, how awesome. We were predicted to go 14th by a lot of media outlets. Last in the Big 12. Well, you can stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Because we're going bowling. It's already locked up. Mountaineers are already, I think, 6-3. and three. I really think we can go 8-4. and four. Um, I, I have a feeling we'll lose to Oklahoma, but I think we'll win the final, those other two games or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. I think eight and four. I'd be happy with seven and five. I'd be ecstatic with eight and four and over the moon if we were somehow able to get to nine and three, uh, which would be absolutely insane. So, no, very happy with that. Very excited for not just the end of this season, but the, what what comes next. Um, I think, again, West Virginia could, you know, I think it's a great young class of players that they have coming through, uh, which is exciting. And... Again, there's this sort of traditional power vacuum that's going to open up in the Big 12 next season. With Texas and Oklahoma gone, the landscape really opens up for teams um, to establish themselves as the next contenders. So, yeah, very exciting. All right, let's finish things off with an NFL Week 9 batch of thoughts. Uh, I had three games that I picked officially in this one. Uh, I had the Dolphins losing to the Chiefs. I had... The Cowboys upsetting the Eagles, and I had the Bengals beating the Bills. Well, I went two of three on this one as well. I got the Chiefs correct. I got the Bengals correct, but I didn't get the Cowboys. And I said on the pod, I didn't feel good about it, but for some reason, I just had this feeling that I should pick the Cowboys. Um, It was close in the end. But anyway, Dolphins, they spot the Chiefs a massive head start. You don't do that to the Chiefs. The Chiefs are too good. 
Um, although the Dolphins climbed back into it in the second half, they'd left themselves too much work. And also the Chiefs' defense is really good. The Chiefs' defense is really good and it's underrated, I think. But maybe enough people are saying it's underrated for it now to be correctly rated. Um, they do a fantastic job. Um, they, they really, you know, brought some great pressure on Miami and were thoroughly deserving of their victory. I thought it was a fitting way for the game to end of a botched snap leading to the Dolphins not even getting to take the shot into the end zone to try and win it. Um, at the end, uh, it, it just sort of summed it up. Mike McDaniel's face on the sideline, like sort of, he actually sort of looked amused, really. Um, the Chiefs march on. I I did the uh, did the math on the Dolphins this season. So they've they've won six games and lost three. Their wins come against teams. Their six wins have come against teams that have a combined record of 11 wins and 30 losses on the season. And the Dolphins have outscored them by, I think it's about 100 points. It's like 250 to 140 or something like that. So they've crushed all these teams with losing records. And their three losses have come against teams who are a combined 20 and 7. And they've only managed to score 51 points in those three games while conceding 100. So... You know, they're only averaging, what's, what's that, about 16.5 points or something per game in their losses, and that's to t- against teams who have a combined record of 20 and 7, and they're allowing, you know, upwards of 30 points a game. I, I think that the Dolphins are a fun team. I think Mike McDaniel's a fun coach. They play a fun style of football on offense. But much like the early Sean McVay Rams I think they're going to have to find a way to sort of beef themselves up in in other ways. A little bit like the early days Chiefs, um, you know, where Mahomes might score 30, but the defense might give up 35. You've got to strengthen the other phases of the game. And Look, it's not like their defense played badly, but I never really thought the Chiefs were going to lose that game, um, bizarrely enough. And it just sort of confirmed my feelings about the Dolphins this season. A fun team, but ultimately an unserious contender. That could change, I suppose, down the stretch, but so far the evidence says it won't. Six wins against teams who have a combined record of 11 wins and 30 losses. And, you know, so what's that? That's that's six wins against teams who have won 25% of their matches this season, and their, their, their losses have come to sides who have won 20 and lost just seven and and it's that what's most alarming to me about that is the fact that the Dolphins are getting scored on heavily in those games now that's a little bit skewed by the Bills scoring 48 on them I think it's fair to point that out but more concerningly it's the 51 points that they've managed 51 points in three matches against those teams with winning records. That's, that's concerning. Averaging under 20 points uh, in those big matchups um, is a worry. So they're going to have to work that out. And, and, you know, it does come down, you go, well, are you just, is this what happens when you play teams with really good defenses? Uh, and if it is, they're the teams you're going to play come playoffs. So um, I wasn't particularly surprised by the outcome. It sort of played out how I thought it would, and I actually did say in the preview, I thought it would be a lower-scoring game, which it was. Uh, the Ravens demolished Seattle. That was another point I wanted to make. Um, I made the mistake of getting on the Detroit Lions last time when they travelled into Baltimore. Didn't make the same mistake this week. Uh, I thought I was intrigued to see what Seattle could do, but my worst sort of fears were confirmed that the Ravens, particularly at home, are an absolute death machine. They destroyed Seattle. Um, I, I am begrudgingly having to admit that if the Ravens can play like that, if the Ravens can get home field advantage somehow uh, in, in playoffs, which is going to be hard to do with the Chiefs doing things the way they're doing, with the Bengals getting on a heater, 
Um, this team is really hard to stop. They are really hard to stop. They, I think they had 300 yards rushing. Uh, but my bigger takeaway probably... Oh, and, and the takeaway there was the defense for the Ravens feels like it's getting back to what it used to be. You know, a, a real strength for them. Where there was a couple of seasons there where they really started to go off a cliff. Um, but now I think they're returning to that being an equal partner uh, with the offense, which is, you know, incredibly exciting if you're a Baltimore fan. Um, They got after Geno Smith in a major way and probably should have picked him off multiple extra times. And speaking of Geno Smith, I think Seattle are a quarterback away from being a legitimate uh, contending team. And I'm, I'm talking about a team that can make that run to like an NFC championship game. Geno Smith is fine, but to me, he's not a he's definitely not a top ten. I can easily get to ten guys I would have in front of him. Um, and that number probably extends out a little bit. And I feel like there's actually quite a big middle class this year. Um so, you know, I, I I think they're a QB away. I think they need to acquire, trade for someone. I'm talking next season. You don't do it this season. Trade someone, trade for someone, draft for someone. I think he's a stepping stone quarterback to their next era of of legitimately contending Seahawks football. And what's exciting is he's got you through a transition phase. He's been fun to watch. He, he, he will have guided you through a transition away from Russell Wilson Um it's allowed you to add parts, you know, in other areas. You know, you've drafted good running backs. You've drafted good wide receivers. Um, you know, you, you've started to bolster up that defense a bit. And I know they got torn apart a bit on the weekend, but I think in general I've, you've seen improvement for Seattle defensively. I really do think that next draft they should look at a quarterback and maybe the one after as well. You know, take one this year. You're probably not going to have a high, high draft pick. Take one. I think it's actually... A, I don't think there's a lot of, like, absolute real high-end QBs at the moment in, in this next draft. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think it's a deep class. I think there's lots of QBs. There's probably, like, eight or nine quarterbacks who are worth drafting in the first, I don't know, two rounds, three rounds. Take one of them. See, see who's around when, when you pick as the Seahawks. And maybe, maybe you could manage to find a way to you know, move up where you've got, I don't know, Shador Sanders. You know, does, does Drake May or someone fall a little bit? I, I don't know. There's QBs out there. Go draft one because I don't think you've currently got the quarterback in your clubhouse who's going to be the one that's there for the next legitimate Super Bowl push in Seattle. But if you get that, everything else is starting to fall into place. Um, I just think we've seen the limitations from Geno Smith. He's fun to watch, but um, not when he plays like he did um, against Seattle and not like he's played a few times this year. Um, but he's going to be he's been fine to guide you through He's been a lot better to watch and he's got you a lot better results than Drew Locke. I just think there's a way to go out and upgrade and, and that the Seahawks need to start thinking about upgrading um, at that position. But who knows? I could be totally wrong. Uh, the Eagles keep on pushing tushes. Beautiful to see. Um, sorry, Cowboys fans, but I enjoyed seeing the Eagles win that one. They cling on late. That stadium in Philly is just absolutely feral. They go feral for the for the goal line stop that that ends the game essentially. Um, beautiful stuff, and it's hard to see the the NFC playoff picture, the road to the Super Bowl through the NFC running anywhere other than through Philadelphia. I think they're eight and one through nine games now. Um, if I think back, they're going to have head-to-head records against a lot of of their rivals. Um, that The win over the Cowboys sort of gives them a two-and-a-half game advantage now in that division heading into the final couple of months of the season. The 49ers, not only have the 49ers been losing, the 49ers' run home is tough. So I... 
Well, what are the Niners? The Niners five and three. You know, and you're trying to chase down the eight and one Eagles. It's going to be tough. I, I think they've already got the home field advantage pinned. They've already got it locked in, I reckon, the Eagles. Um, and they are going to be a hard team to beat. Dallas actually, like, they played reasonably. They're kind of an interesting team. I, sh- I should actually do a... Um, they're a little bit like the NFC's version of the Dolphins. You know, they're, like, quite fun to watch, and they, like, absolutely eviscerate, you know, average to garbage teams. But then, you know, they play against the better teams and ultimately come up short. Like, the 49ers game for them was an absolute, you know, get-your-pants-pulled-down kind of moment. They were competitive in this game, but, you know, so were the Dolphins against the Chiefs, and yet it's the Eagles who come out on top. I think I like the Cowboys ultimately actually a little bit more than the Dolphins in terms of their, their chances to make something happen at the end of the season. But they are in a similar bracket for me. You know, where they're going to be a, you know, a wild card team that maybe wins their first game and then gets bumped in the next round unless they can figure out um, some things uh, to strengthen themselves. Oh, speaking of teams that need to figure something out, the Buffalo Bills need to figure out what voodoo the Cincinnati Bengals have over them. And really, I, I think it comes down to, it's, it's as simple as this. Bills v. Bengals. All right, first question. Is, is Joe Burrow healthy? Yes. All right, make the Bengals a seven-point favorite. Joe Burrow is absolutely a top three quarterback in this league right now. He might, be, he might be the number one right now. If you looked purely on form, how everyone's playing right now, Joe Burrow has a pretty, pretty good case to state. He's incredible. Um, you know, you get so many takes wrong when you podcast. Um, my take that Joe Burrow was going to have a pretty good NFL career, <laughs> I'm pretty happy with that one. And... He's the difference maker. And I think as long as he's there, uh, the Bills are going to have big problems coming up against this team. And, you know, what a con- like contrasting, uh, you know, range of motion that's happening at the moment. The Bills, who sort of got out of the gate hot again, are falling back to the pack, regressing to five and four. The Bengals, who got out of the gate slow, are now beginning to turn into this rising star. I think they're six and three. Either five and three or six and three. Um, and just on an absolute heater. And I, yeah, you start to wonder with the Bills. They seem a, a frustrated team. I've thought that from week one. I thought you saw it again. Josh Allen, you know, looked frustrated. The the penalty he gave away, pointing the finger. Now, I think it's a bullshit kind of penalty, you know, that, that you get a taunting penalty for, for pointing in the face of the defender as you run, run into the end zone. Like, come on. You know, we're not playing chess. It's, it's football. Let's have a little bit of fun. Let, let them get expressive. But anyway... That sort of falls into the category for me of like the, the, the penalty, you, you know, you get for taking your helmet off after you score a touchdown cel- and you're celebrating. It's like, yeah, it's kind of a dumb penalty, but you know the rules, don't do it. Josh Allen surely knew that if he pointed directly in the face of, of the defensive player he was running past, he was going to get a flag. Just sort of dumb stuff. And, you know, it's amazing how often teams are typified by the attitude and, and, and the mentality of their quarterback. The Bengals have this kind of very quiet, ruthless swagger. And that's exactly how you'd describe Joe Burrow. The Bills have this frustrating fluctuation between head-scratching mistakes and results to, you know, soaring like Superman athletic moments. And, and that's kind of Joe, uh, that's kind of Josh Allen. You know, they thumped the Dolphins. I think it was 48 to 20. But then they go and like, they bungle weird games and, and, and he goes from being a Superman to, to being a crazy man. And uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what they 
are going to do the Bills because now you know they they felt for a couple of seasons like they were so close to breaking through. They had their hearts broken by the Chiefs. They had their hearts broken by the Bengals, and now you're sort of you're starting to drift off. You know, you, you you're if the if the uh, if you think of the uh, the Super Bowl window as a feeding trough, and you've got all the, the the prime contenders with their noses in the trough, they're right there feeding at feeding time, and then you've got you know everyone else sort of falls away from there. The further away from the trough you are, you know, the the, the less love you get, the less nutrients your fan base is getting access to. The Bills had their trough right in that snout, and so they had their snout right in that trough. And I don't know, it felt like they got headbutted a few times by the Chiefs and the Bengals and pushed out. And and now it feels like, are they ever going to push that snout back in there again? Or are they going to cycle back to the outside for a bit before they're going to have, have the, the, you know, the, the, the strength and the reinforcements to push their way back in? They just right now feel like they're getting... They're, they're getting moved out of that prime feeding spot um, as far as the Super Bowl window is concerned. And they were so close um, a couple of seasons ago. The Bengals love them. Bengals are right in that window still. And as Joe Burrow said, uh, the window's open so long as I'm here. <laughs> I freaking love that. I love it. Is uh, yeah one of my favorite players in the NFL. Probably my favourite, really. Um, maybe there's a Steeler I can find above him, but God, it's it's hard as a Steelers fan, um, being such a Joe Burrow fan, because yeah, he's gonna just destroy us in this division, probably. Uh, but funnily enough, we actually play pretty well against him, um, despite the fact that his team generally beats us. Um, Want to just finish this off? The Jets wither away against the Chargers. Watch the second half of this game. Um, I was catching up on the Bills-Bengals game this morning. Um, so I tuned in for the second half of this. I, When the Vikings lost Kirk Cousins last weekend, they aggressively made a move at the deadline to go and acquire a, a QB. And not just any QB. They went out and got Josh Dobbs from the Cardinals, who had started every game this season for Arizona. Think every game. The Jets, when Aaron Rodgers went down in week one, instead of making a move, they, they stuck with Zach Wilson. When they've eked their way improbably, you know, to, to, a, to a winning record at four and three. But you're going, this, this won't sustain. Anyone who's watched has gone, if there's been any improvement from Zach Wilson, it's been almost indiscernible. And he's going to cost them games at times. He's, he's just not accurate enough. And that's what we had against the Chargers. There were throws that were there to be made. He missed them. He missed really makeable throws. Throws that you have to make as an NFL starter. And there's a number of quarterbacks around the league. Um, there's, there's one at the Steelers who goes through these patches. You know, Kenny Pickett can get hot in the fourth quarter, but there's other times during the game where you're just like, you've got to make that throw. Yeah, that's not college open, but it's NFL open, and you've got to hit that guy in stride so he can turn up field and make a play. And they're not hitting it. Zach Wilson is in that thing. So I'm sitting here as just a frustrated NFL fan who was so ready to root for the Jets this year because there was the Aaron Rodgers thing. I just have a soft spot for the Jets. You know, he gets injured week one. You're like, ah, crap. Maybe that's just the end of their season. They get, they stay feisty. But there's this thing in the back of my head that's going, yeah, but eventually Zach Wilson's going to cost them. They've got to get some production on offense. Their defense can't, their special teams can't continually pull results out of the fire. And so now they have the loss to the Chargers, who are going to be a team, they, you know, the kick, what, I think it was 6, six to 27 or something. I think was the final score. Two field goals for the game, um, multiple turnovers, multiple missed throws. And this is going to, I reckon, eventually divide your locker room. The defense knows it's been playing its guts out. And if you don't get help on offense, that can fracture really quick. 
And you've now suffered a loss to a team that you're going to be fighting for a wild card against, the Chargers. And the reason I bring up Minnesota is Minnesota got their way to four and four. They lose their quarterback who was making amazing stuff happen for them. And instead of punting on the season, they go and get someone. Now, is Josh Dobbs Kirk Cousins? Absolutely not. Do I think the, the, the Vikings can make a Super Bowl run? No, I don't. But do I think they can, you know, win a playoff game? Yeah, sure. Why not? And don't you, you can't sniff at that as an NFL franchise because, you know, you can't take that for granted because your fans need something to have hope for. They need the ability to hope and dream. You know, could Josh Dobbs do a Nick Foles? Or, you know, can Jaron Hall be a breakout star? I don't know. But what I liked about it is the Vikings got aggressive and went, hey, we're not punting on this season. We're going to keep trying to win games and we're actually going to give up some, you know, lower round draft assets to go and get someone who we like in Josh Dobbs. So we're going to have Jaron Hall, we're going to have Josh Dobbs, and who knows what we'll do with Kirk Cousins in the future, but we're not punting. We're not just bringing in Jacoby Brissett. We're not just bringing in Joe Flacco. We're not just going to let the rookie sort of drown on his own here. And they go and win this week. Despite suffering the quarterback um, adversity of having Jaron Hall knocked out of the game with a concussion. Josh Dobbs comes in and absolutely shreds. I'm disappointed in the Jets that they just stuck with what they had. You've had Zach Wilson in the building multiple years. You knew going into the season, Zach Wilson wasn't the quarterback to get you where you wanted to go because that's why you went out and got Aaron Rodgers. So you aggressively went out and pursued a quarterback alternative knowing that Zach Wilson wasn't the guy to get you there. Not in the short term, at least. So why did that thinking an evaluation of Zach Wilson change once Aaron Rodgers was injured and out of the picture. Because for all they knew at that moment, Aaron Rodgers wasn't coming back. You know, there's all this talk now about Rodgers could make a late season appearance. Who knows? But in that moment, in those first few weeks, you didn't know that. You didn't know that. So how, how did the evaluation of Zach Wilson change from when you got... Aaron Rodgers via trade in the offseason to when Aaron Rodgers went down week one after playing five minutes. Why did you suddenly see Zach Wilson as a viable starting option when you'd spent capital to go out and replace him? I, I think, you know, for a team that says all gas, no breaks, they've been remarkably all breaks and no gas when it comes to strengthening their quarterback room when it comes to evaluating, you know, to self-scouting their pick. Doesn't matter that you took Zach Wilson in the first round. Does he look like a first-round quarterback right now? No. Does everything else on this team look pretty feisty? Do you have a defense that if you get average offensive play is going to win a lot of games? Yes. 100%. So to me, it's inexcusable um, that they haven't gone out and got someone. It's inexcusable to me... Carson Wentz is sitting in free agency right now. You do not even have to give up a pick to get Carson Wentz into the building. A guy who's thrown 150 touchdowns and 60 interceptions in his career, who started nearly 100 games in the NFL. Now, I know he's not Aaron Rodgers. I know that Kirk Cousins probably isn't, sorry, um, that, that Carson Wentz probably isn't, isn't even like, you know, he's not Kirk Cousins. That's why the Vikings didn't bring him in. But Carson Wentz is better than Zach Wilson. Carson Wentz is more experienced than Zach Wilson. Carson Wentz can win you games more than Zach Wilson can. And you don't have to give anything up for him. He's free. He's a free agent. So to me, it's, it's kind of inexcusable. Um... It's, it's inexcusable that there's options out there you could have had a crack at and you've chosen not to. You chose not to trade for anyone. You're rolling with... You've chosen not to sign anyone in free agency despite the fact you've got a guy like, like 
Carson Wentz. And again, I'm not saying Carson Wentz is a top half of the league starter, but he's a starter. He's a low-end starter. Zach Wilson, as presently comprised, struggles, in my mind, to look like a low-end backup. He's a project player right now. That's why you got Aaron Rodgers. Because you knew there was no way Zach Wilson as a starter was a viable option for your football team heading into 2023. I don't get why the evaluation changed once Rodgers was injured. And the argument that, oh, we don't want to give up draft capital, then don't. There's plenty of good free, experienced free agent quarterbacks out there. I don't say plenty, there's a handful. That's still a handful you've, you've refused to take advantage of. Um, so I think it's pretty inexcusable. I can't imagine how frustrating it is for Jets fans. You know, I'm a neutral sort of party here. Just someone who wanted to be able to root for the Jets in 2023. It's frustrating to me. I cannot imagine how disappointing it is. They felt so close going into week one. They felt so close. Even now, watching how this defense is playing, watching the talent of a guy like Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, and yet they feel a million miles away. It's crazy. It's really crazy. So, all right, that'll do it. That is all of my thoughts from the football weekend. Looking forward to previewing what's coming up this weekend. More good matchups. You know, two good CFL conference finals, Winnipeg v. BC and Toronto v. Montreal. Bunch of good college games. Bunch of good NFL games. So plenty to get to. I'll be back in your ears in the next few days. Thanks so much for listening. Appreciate it. Until next time, catch you later.